Good afternoon, patriots. You are tuned into Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today we'll talk about climate change hypocrisy, and I have another example of why we need to cut and run from the United Nations. Next, I'm Living with Liberty. The climate hoax continues to be perpetuated, and we know that the narrative shift is coming. The work that Project Veritas has done exposing CNN and that uh, program director there that let the cat out of the bag in terms of what the next narrative is going to be. We know it's going to be climate change uh, as soon as they've, they're done squeezing all the blood out of the turnip that is uh, the coronavirus and getting everybody vaccinated. Those who perpetuate it continue to show their utter hypocrisy in terms of their appetite to actually combat climate change. Has human activity had an impact on our planet? Undoubtedly it has. We have cut down many forests and plowed them under for uh, farm fields. We've paved many roads which trap and radiate heat, particularly the uh, black asphalt. Those all raise temperatures near the ground. We've uh, tilled up acres and acres of land laying bare uh, the black dirt, which once you clear all the, the uh, grass and growth on the top, you have the black dirt remaining, which also traps and radiates heat. It's black dirt. In the south, I suppose it's red clay, but uh, kind of does the same thing. And it's known that burning fossil fuels emits carbon dioxide in the air, and that those carbon dioxide molecules stay in the atmosphere for a, a while. Now, I'll link a, an article I found in the description box that is a counter-argument to the global warming by greenhouse gas effect, or greenhouse effect, it'd be more accurate to say that carbon dioxide has a lower specific heat than air, the air we breathe, the oxygen, which means it will heat up faster than air when put into direct, you know, into the sunlight. This article goes on to state that in actuality there would have been or there would have to be a much larger amount of carbon dioxide in the air than what is currently there to get this hypothesized two degrees Celsius temperature increase that we keep getting hit over the head with. No, I'm not denying any of the science that gets bantered about in terms of what environmental impacts human activity has had. We know these things that, uh, like I said, our burning of fossil fuels emits um, it, it emits uh, exhaust and and carbon dioxide among other things into the atmosphere into the air we breathe that that stuff's not good for us. What has happened is climate change has become a tool of the elites and the politicians they fund to try and control the masses, really preying on low information citizens driving it really back all the way back into our schools with the experiments they do. You'll see that in our, in that article I, I mentioned previously. So it starts uh, in childhood, really, with uh, with the students and 
and getting them hooked on this idea of, of climate change and greenhouse gases and the like. And what they do is then the solutions they provide are only achievable through exorbitant spending that provide resolutions that actually create more issues than they solve and will only further drive up prices on everything from fuel for your vehicles to the products we use every day. Now, we do have solutions for the environment and for our impact on it that does not require government intervention and excessive regulation and spending. And they will, in fact, help reverse some of what has been done to the environment by human activity. Now, a little teaser here, I have a special guest lined up for my next show to go over what one of those options are. I think you'll find it uh, both informative and interesting. Now, the thing about climate change is that these elites who are telling us what we must be doing to stop climate change don't actually believe a word of it. How many of them continue to buy seaside mansions, even though we keep hearing the seas are going to rise and flood the coastal regions, wiping out those seaside mansions amongst other uh, properties and beaches and everything else? John Kerry flies around on his private jet saying it's necessary for him to be doing so in the line of work he is in. In reality, it's just so he doesn't have to sit with the smelly deplorables at the airport gate waiting to board a commercial flight. Now, he probably sits in uh, first class, I'm sure. I don't know that you'd see John Kerry flying uh, in the economy class, but, you know, I think he kind of thinks he's better than the even those passengers in first class. And he wants to make sure that we know, us deplorables know, that he's better than the rest of us. Now, if he actually believed a word he spouts about climate change, he'd fly commercial. Or better yet, he would just do video conferences instead of flying all over the world in his private plane. Now, it's not just politicians and and woke activists, let's call it, that are jumping on this climate change, uh, climate hoax bandwagon. Corporations are rushing to get in on the action as well, as they are feeling the pressure by those low information consumers who just see the blurbs from, uh, you know, our lying media and politicians and elites. And they also have pressure from executives who have come up through an education system that has espoused this climate change nonsense. The shipping industry, for example, is actually asking to be taxed for its carbon emissions. Now, according to a Bloomberg article I'll link in the description box, several trade groups representing more than 90% of the world's merchant fleet have submitted a proposal to uh, shipping's United Nations regulator calling for it to prioritize a carbon tax for the industry. Now, what I, I have no idea what the United Nations has anything to do with taxing uh, emissions from, uh, from seafaring vessels in this case. Uh, why are we even involving the United Nations at all in this? For one, this is 
uh, absurd. Uh, United Nations is going to tax it and then launder the money to whatever else they do. Um, that's point one. That's not the, the United Nations teaser I gave, but it, you know, there, there's a point one is why is the United Nations have anything to do with regulating commerce, regulating fleets of uh, merchant vessels in order to reduce carbon emissions. That's point one there. So the other thing is to think about is the impact of taxing carbon emissions uh, of these vessels on consumers. What impact is that going to have on the prices you pay? Well, those imports from China, from Asia, even from Europe, for, to the, for that matter, or anything that would be coming in on a boat will get a bit more expensive if that tax does go into effect. That extra expense will get handed right down the line, right through the, the entire chain to the end consumer. The reality is companies do not pay taxes. Those who consume their products do. Sure, they may try and eat the extra tax expense for a while, like they did, uh, many did, with the tariffs that President Trump had put in place. Uh, but after a while, they re, uh, they, they'll really uh, pass that extra cost onto the consumer because it hurts their margins. It hurts their bottom lines. It hurts their operations. Taxes are a waste. They're a drag on uh, economic activity. Companies aren't going to sit and pay the extra taxes for long. They're not going to take and eat it. They're going to do price increases eventually if it goes on for too long. And that's exactly what happened with with uh, these tariffs that President Trump had put in place. Eventually, companies just started raising their prices to account for the extra tariffs that they had to pay on the goods they were importing from China. Now let's switch to land transportation of goods. Think about the push to electrify our semi-fleets. Your typical driver piloting a conventional diesel rig will cover 600 to 650 miles per day. And with the dual fuel tanks on the, the trucks, they have a range of anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 miles without refueling. Now, every stop a truck makes is... You know, miles they're not clicking off on the road and more expensive the, you know, the freight becomes and the more chance you have for out of stocks. Now, looking at these electric trucks that companies are coming out with, the Freightliner electric models right now uh, have a range of 250 miles before needing to be charged. And it takes 90 minutes to recharge that truck to 80%. Now, this would make them virtually useless for a long-haul route, defeating the purpose of going to electric semis in the first place. It's to replace the fleet to get that dirty diesel out of, uh, you know, out of commission here. So, what good is a 250-mile range on a truck when, you know, some of these are, are cross-country routes that, if you're not clicking off the 600 to 650 miles a day, that's a, that's a, from here in the Midwest, that's a, a four mile trip out to, or four day trip out to California. 
it's I think seven days from uh, call it anywhere on the East Coast across country. So, I mean, to, to only have availability to go 250 miles before needing to be charged, and you have a 90 minute recharge, uh, the, the drivers, uh, you know, are spending. I don't know, about three, three hours, let's call it, maybe three and a half to four uh, hours of their day charging their truck if we're using electric trucks to go cross country. Now, of course, we won't. These trucking companies know that it's not feasible to use them. But, you know, there again, that's something nobody's thinking about or talking about when we talk about how are we going to move our freight. If we go to electric trucks like this, it, it, it it's virtually useless on the long haul routes you can take some of the short one short hauls out and and convert them to electric but there again you know those trucks are are moving a lot of miles a day you got 90 minutes to recharge them now tesla however um good old uh elon musk there he's uh his company has said that they're electric truck went 620 miles in a test run. Now that would make it an, a, a viable alternative to diesel trucks. We'll see how that turns out though. Um, Tesla's struggles with producing enough product to meet demand is well documented. Their ability to keep a project on time uh, is uh, well documented to uh, their ability to not keep projects on time. If the Tesla truck does go 600 miles plus, though, it does become a viable disruptor to the diesel fuel trucks on the long-hauled routes, as well as the those that are currently uh, available as far as electric options go. The other thing, though, we're not thinking about here, or I should say that those pushing these are uh, climate alarmists. Uh, the thing they're not thinking about here with these electric trucks is they will need to be plugged into an already strained electrical grid, particularly in places like California, where I think they're uh, pushing these big time. And the other fact here is there's so much clamoring to replace the fossil fuel plants with renewable resources. It, that noise gets louder by the minute from these hypocrite, hypocrite greenies. So, kind of mentioned California before. California will have to make a choice here, especially if they don't get enough uh, power generation back into their grid. Are they going to enact more rolling brown and blackouts to charge the trucks because you've got all these trucks now that are plugged into the grid? Or are Californians going to accept bare shells because? There's trucks that can't be charged. They're stranded on the side of the road because the batteries died. Or they're, you know, they're, they've had to regulate it so they can only be plugged in certain times of the day. It just creates a whole mess. Does anyone bother to think about these things in depth when they come up with these solutions? Like I said before, the, the, the trying to resolve this creates more problems than it actually solves. Now, kind of moving on is segueing from one thing to another here, talking about now replacing fossil fuel plants and how that gets louder day by day to go to renewable uh, renewable energy sources. You know, let's think about the footprint needed to build a large enough solar array or wind farm to replace 
a either a coal or a natural gas fired plant or even a, a nuclear plant for that matter. Now, sure, by going to a, a wind farm or solar array, you're solving the emission problem. Neither one of those things uh, in their power generating phase uh, em emit any sort of uh, exhaust or greenhouse gas, if you will. Um, but you have to take into account now you have an environmental degradation problem. Now the endangered fuzzy spotted jackalope has no home because there's a solar array that was built in what was its habitat. And the other thing here is solar panels are dark. And what do we know about dark things? They absorb sunlight and things that absorb sunlight heat up more than things that are reflective of sunlight. And that heat has to go somewhere so it then radiates back into the atmosphere like the heat off the asphalt pavement, heating the air at the ground level more, making it hotter, making it seem hotter. The other thing here, talking about wind turbines, they kill hundreds of thousands of birds every year. The The range is, is actually, as I looked at this, crazy. It's anywhere from, I've seen, saw, seen anywhere from half a million birds per year to over a million birds per year are killed by wind turbines. Well, let's put them offshore then. It's not many birds flying around way offshore. Well, there is an offshore wind farm that's been approved. It's 12 miles off of Martha's Vineyard. Now, you didn't expect that they would put it in the view of the residents of Martha's Vineyard, did you? This wind farm is comprised of 84 turbines spaced one mile apart. So at a minimum, uh, you'll have a wind farm that's encompassing 84 square miles. And it'll be likely more once all the boundaries are set, because obviously you're not going to want things coming within, you know, one mile of, uh, you know, or right up to that uh, wind turbine. You're going to have some sort of barrier and boundary uh, water around it. Now, this uh, wind farm for Martha's Vineyard is going to generate 800 megawatts, which is great. It'll power 400,000 homes. But a fossil fuel or nuclear plant will generate at least that much power or more in a footprint of one square mile or less. Now, to be fair, the mining operations should be taken into consideration when talking coal or nuclear. But it's safe to assume that that mining operation, especially if it's a surface mining operation, with coal you have two types. You have the, the underground, the ones we typically think about when we hear coal mining. And then you have the surface where they're stripping the, you know, making the big pits and everything else looking for the coal. You know, I think it's safe to assume uh, that a surface mine of, in and of itself is not going to approach anywhere near 84 square miles of environmental impact. And again, that's the bare minimum. Um, if this project off Martha's Vineyard moves ahead as planned, expect to pay more for seafood because there will be an impact to the fisheries here that is not being considered uh, according to uh, many of the trade groups in the area. I'll put a link to the Bloomberg, Bloomberg article 
uh, in the description box for, for this uh, Martha's Vineyard uh, wind farm as well. Now, we also have major companies writing letters to Joe Biden and Congress asking for climate action. And one of those companies signing on to these letters is Amazon. Now, I'm not sure how much Amazon believes what they are asking for, though, considering their carbon footprint went up 15% last year. And they just keep building new warehouses and adding planes and trucks to the transportation sector. One day, prime delivery has its costs, and that cost is higher emissions from Amazon flying packages all over the globe and requiring their delivery partners to make deliveries seven days a week. So you have more flights, more delivery vehicles on the road, more days a week, and that all adds up to a larger carbon footprint. It adds up to more emissions in our atmosphere. Then you throw in the millions of square feet of warehouse space Amazon has already built and is planning to build, removing carbon-absorbing green space from our environment, reducing the amount of natural air purifiers available, necessi necessitating expensive solutions to reduce carbon dioxide in our atmosphere. But seemingly few want to call out Amazon on their environmental degradation and carbon, uh, their expanding carbon footprint. And again, another company that doesn't really believe what they're signing up for. Do you need more proof that the elites aren't serious about climate change? Look no further than how they tiptoe around China when it comes time to hold them accountable for their carbon emissions. Now, while industries like the American coal miners get pilloried for being major contributors to global warming and we shut mines down and stop all fracking, things like that, China continues on as the largest coal producer and user and has been financing fossil fuel projects in other countries as part of their Belt and Road Initiative. China is responsible for 27% of the world's carbon emissions. The U.S., a distant second at 11%. Yes, China's carbon output is two and a half times more than the United States, yet we are the ones being told we need to tighten up our carbon belts further. Now, Xi Jinping's has said that China will strictly limit, whatever that means, coal consumption between 2021 and 2025, and will start phasing it out after, uh, in the five years after that time period. Does anyone really believe him, though? I sure don't. Is John Kerry going to fly in his private jet to meet with Xi Jinping to hold him accountable to this? Does anyone really think China's going to move away from cheap energy? Especially when they face rising wages in their workforce. It's exactly why this right here is exactly why the cheap energy, it's exactly why Trump wanted to make America energy independent. It's easier to control costs in the production cycle when energy is cheap. It's easier to control those costs when you are the one providing the energy 
to uh, the fuel for the energy to uh, your own industry. It was a way to draw manufacturing back to the U.S. Affordable energy. In order to draw manufacturing back, input costs have to be lowered. One of those inputs is energy. Now, let's be real. China isn't going away from the cheap energy. They're not going to go away from coal. They're building more coal plants. They keep building coal plants. They have over 1,000, I believe almost 1,100 now with another 100 in process. They keep mining the coal. And they are building themselves an export market for their coal in the event that they do by uh, some stroke of luck or principle, you know, following what they said about reducing their dependence on coal. Uh, they, you know, if, if they choose to move away from fossil fuel plants, um, they, they're building all these other ones elsewhere where they can still export their coal to. Now, the handling of China by the so-called climate change warriors and climate czars in our government further proves that they don't believe a word that they are saying. They don't believe a word that they're, they're, they don't believe in what they're telling us to do. Moving on, the one thing I wish Trump would have done was tag-teamed pulling out of the WHO with pulling out of the UN, an equally useless international body. Now, the story I'm about to cover, I posted on my social media accounts yesterday. The UN, which has brought you such great ideas like appointing Iran to their Women's Rights Commission and electing Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro to its Human Rights Council, now says that if you deny children access to porn, you are denying them their rights. What freaking planet did these morons come here from? They are basically saying it's okay to abuse a child. And we, the American taxpayer, fund this landfill of an organization to the tune of $674 million. $674 million to be told children should have access to porn. What has happened to protecting a child's innocence? What has happened to letting kids be kids, letting them be carefree and not getting caught up in the garbage of the adult world? What's happened to not pushing the garbage of the adult world on our children? So does this mean that anyone denying their child access to porn should be prosecuted? This is the type of stuff that if not reversed, if those with principle do not stand up and voice their opposition to these stupid ideas, it will definitely lead to the downfall of, downfall of civilization in its current form. One of the, 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 the warning signs of a civilization in decline is moral decay. We are on the rocket sled there. It's reversible, but not if we keep allowing crap like this to go on without standing up and saying something and demanding change. This continued degradation of moral character and principle in society is not sustainable if we are to maintain a functional civilization, if we are to maintain a functional society. There's a reason the League of Nations failed, 
and we are seeing the UN follow that same path. What has the UN ever done? It was supposed to provide a way to prevent wars through diplomacy. It seems to have failed in that mission. We still have wars. It certainly hasn't been short on scandals of its own in regards to human rights abuses. All the humanitarian efforts it undertakes can be done much more efficiently and effectively without UN involvement. And more of that money that would go to those being helped by that humanitarian effort, not administration of the UN's involvement in it. I say defund it, kick the headquarters out of the U.S., and move on. That $674 million can be better spent helping our own citizens. Better yet, that is $674 million that we can use to help children in need within our own country, help them get out of abusive situations, provide them with food or clothing, maybe even give them scholarships to schools of their choice. Now, finishing up, in my last show, I spoke about the X for Boys school run by King Randall. Now, I reached out to see if King would be available to come on the show and do an interview. I just love the story, and I think it deserves more publicity than what it gets. And I want to help them in that. I, I, he's helping kids, helping boys become men. He's teaching them how to, how to grow up and, and teaching them skills and putting them on a path to success. His, uh, his uh, people got back to me. He said that he is getting ready for the summer camp that they operate every year. So he's not able to do interviews at this time as he's busy doing that. Um, but I hope to have him on after the camp season is over. As his uh, representatives said, um, you know, let's leave it open and um, we'll talk again after the camp season. So I, I said, that's great. I want to have him on. I, I love what he's the work he's doing, like I said. Uh, in the meantime, though, uh, the X for Boys School is looking for sponsors for their Sponsor a Son program for the summer camp. It takes $300 to sponsor a student for the entire summer. So I, I said I'd put this out there on my show. I, if you feel led to sponsor a son for the summer, uh, just tag it in the space provided on the X for Boys donation page on their website. They're also in need of general donations. So if you, you know, if you're not led to give $300 to sponsor a student for the summer, but, you know, feel like you want to do something there, they're in need of general donations as well to, to help them operate their, their school and their organization. So if you feel led to donate in any way, go to the philanthropy page on my uh, website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Under that tab, you'll find the link to the X for Boys website. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Not only will you find uh, philanthropic efforts there, you'll also find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living with Liberty Outfitters. And don't forget to check out the limited edition Memorial Day collection. All proceeds from the Memorial Day collection will be donated to the A Soldier's Child Foundation. Also, I'd be so grateful if you subscribed to the show and left a positive review should your listening platform allow. It helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. 
I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor and Gab. My handle on both is at livingwithliberty. You can also go to the contact page of my website and email me or follow the links there to my social media pages. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.